Hello and welcome to the Right for Your Life podcast. I'm Ian Broom. I'm Donna Sorensen. And um, we have a uh, number of things to talk to you about today. Most of them writing related, reading related and publishing related. We never say that at the start of the show. I know that it's kind of implicit in the title, Right for Your Life, but it does suggest, I suppose, that this is a one topic show. But actually, I think there's more to it than that. Ah, we've had some amazing waffles and digressions. We do cover all sorts of things, don't we, in the end? But yes, mainly writing-related things. Indeed. So, you know, and I I say that because we have a number of new listeners, because obviously the show only moved to 5 by 5 around five or six weeks ago. And um, and I know that there are people listening for, um, not necessarily the first time, but... uh, the first handful of times. So just to remind people, I thought I'd say that at the start. I've talked about it way too long now, though. So what are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, last week we discussed at great length um, openings um, to, obviously, novels. Um, uh, and this week we have promised everybody that we will have a quick look at endings. Have we not? We did mention that, and therefore we must. Um, But before that, um, we're just going to chat a little bit about um, articles, bits of interesting info to do with writing and publishing that we'd come across this week. That's true. And I'm going to talk about um, a project that I'm working on and to try and make it not tedious and all about me, I'm going to talk about how I'm doing it because I've never been more time um, limited than I have been over the last month as my wife's been ill, as regular listeners will know. and yet I've managed to somehow, I really don't know how, but managed to um, write about 2,000 words worth, words worth, not really, um, of, uh, of um, it's not a screenplay, it's like, a, I guess it's a, a podcast play <laughs> or a radio play um, or a monologue. I'm not quite sure, but I'll, I'll talk about that too and talk about how, I, how I've done it, what apps I've used and that type of thing. Fab, sounds good. Kick us off. What have you seen this week? What's uh, caught your eye? What's wet your whistle? <laughs> Blimey. Um, well, as usual, when I sat down and, and started to have a look for interesting articles, um, I just got lost in a whole host of ridiculous stories and things on the internet, as always happens. Um, and it started off with um, a story about an independent bookshop going bust in Northern Ireland, which was very sad because... The guy that ran it just had to chuck all of the books out in a skip outside the front and people just came and took them. And that was his entire life's work, just kind of picked off by people. Why did he have to do that? Why could he not have given them to, for example, a local charity shop or orphanage? Well, this is very interesting. And people had questioned that. And then the people that came and took them out of the skip were saying that that's what they were going to do. Because, you know, you spend that money on on hiring a skip. Why not spend the money on, on, you know, distributing them to, to people? That is a question. I'm probably just guessing here that that guy was not thinking straight. I mean, you know, his entire life there just being chucked out beside the front of the shop. He probably wasn't planning the best way to, to get rid of everything, wouldn't you say? Well, there's, there's not thinking straight and then there's um, picking up the phone, organising for a skip company to come round in a couple of days' time. But he, he might not have had to do that because it was the bailiffs. He went bankrupt, you know. OK. So probably this is some... Um, bureaucratic thing to do with um you know somebody else behind a desk had to do it i'm sure well it's what we talked about last week isn't it it's um it's 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 this notion that we know we all know that the publishing industry is changing and that amazon is 
dominating in a slightly frightening kind of way. Um, and what what we all talk about is, we all, well, we always lament the passing of so many independent bookshops. But what I think people keep forgetting is the people who are behind these bookshops. It's not bookshops that are closing down; it's people's businesses. And um, and you know, this sounds like a, a perfect example. But there must have been something slightly more cheery to have. Uh, well, exactly. You know, I saw that article, and then I was like, "Oh, I'm not going to talk about that on the podcast. That's way too um, too downbeat." And then I ended up blooming doing it anyway, didn't I? <laughs> it, would, it would appear so. <laughs> Stop. Um, yeah. So anyway, then randomly, I ended up reading a short story by James Franco because I thought, "Oh, this is ridiculous." I mean, come on. I, I know he's published a, a collection of poetry, and now two short story collections. I was just thinking, "This is ridiculous." And then accidentally, I started reading it. So I actually read the whole blooming story. What was it like? Oh, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was basically about how a night in a hotel room with Lindsay Lohan and how he didn't have sex with her, um, with little kind of Hollywood tidbits and, and, and stories from his past and other interesting celebrities in it. So, so and was that it, was why I couldn't stop reading it. Was it autobiographical? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Seriously, is that what it was? That, yeah. Was it a... Yeah. It is. I mean, it's talking about himself all the time and, and that he's looking out at, you know, it's quite funny, really, looking out at a big Gucci billboard of himself across the road, like lost in his thoughts and all this kind of stuff, um, while reminiscing about um, things, you know, River Phoenix having a hole so big in his jeans once when he was pulled over by the police that he could see his um, his private parts. Weird things like that. I mean, this sounds brilliant. <laughs> I know, it's just... I was a little bit intrigued just to with these random celebrity stories. And then I thought, oh, this is just, oh, why have I wasted this time reading James Franco's story? Um, would you have sat down to read it, Ian? Let's be honest. I don't think so, no. And that's not because I'm in any way a better person than you. It's, um, <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's just felt you had to say that, eh? It's, uh, it's because, um... It's because my reading time is limited. We're going to talk about this later on as well. We have a listener's question, and um, it's about how much writing time do we... Uh, how, how, how do we balance the writing and reading time? And um, as, again, regular listeners will know, I've not done a great deal of reading in the last month. So um, the reason I wouldn't have read James Franco's story is probably because I feel like my reading list, my, my to-do list in terms of reading is so long, the uh, Frankenmeister would be... Somewhere towards the back of the queue. I know, I know. But the reason I read it, well, there are a couple of reasons. One is that I'm between books um, and at a little bit of a loss, actually. I've picked up an, the next book and it's on my bedside table and I'm, I just don't have the stomach for it at the moment. So I thought, oh, well, it took me about three minutes to read that story, <clears throat> I would point out. And the other thing is, is that I just, I remember my mum's a children's book writer. Um, she writes picture books. She's had a lot of books published and I remember when Madonna got her children's books published, my mum was livid. Oh, you know, it's just so hard for us. And, you know, this is ridiculous. It's just her her name and all that. And that was so long ago. And I remember those books. I think she published like three or something. But I don't remember their... It's not like she's published more. And I was trying to think about celebrities that have published books and whether they are, you know, there's loads of them taking advantage of their celebrity. But I couldn't actually think of that many. I remember Jim Carrey. Didn't he do something about a wave, a children's book about a wave? <laughs> I can. Th- I've just thought of it. I don't know about Jim Carrey, but the the Fonz. Did the Fonz write a book? The Fonz has got some children's books. Um, 
There is Katie Price, a.k.a. Jordan. Limey Moses. Well, there you go. And then, I'm not finished, there is um, (laughs) Frank Lampard, the footballer. Really? Soccer player, very famous soccer player in the UK. Um, He's written Frankie's Magic Boots. This is like his career as he comes to retirement. Um, There is... Naomi Campbell. She famously didn't write her own book, do you remember? Ah, that's right, yeah. Um, and someone else, there's someone else that's particularly famous in the UK and I can't quite think of it, but there are lots of, there are lots of examples of, uh, of this. And, and the, the problem is whether those books have literally, oh, David Williams, he was the other person I'm going to say, who's hugely, hugely successful. Oh. And, and I, and as I, I said to you earlier, before we started recording, I think that he is probably... Um, um, and maybe the others are too. I've not read any of these books, but I think David Williams appears to be um, a different case. He's now had several um, um, uh, works of, um, I think, I think young teenage fiction published, and um, I think they're written in the very much like a raw doll style. And I think they're uh, from all from all accounts, they're you know very good. And I, I suspect he's going to have quite a long career in in, in this. You know, and he's a comedian who writes his own material anyway. Yeah, it's not like he's a writer. Yeah. Yeah, he is a writer of, uh, in uh, yeah. when it comes to. It. I have someone else I just thought of that um, goes against that trend. He was actually was an actress and then um, an incredibly successful writer, and is now a writer. Although, and I'll give you a clue about who I'm talking about, and see if you can get it. Will soon be making a comeback as uh, as an actress in films, very important films. Oh. Um... Star Wars. <laughs> oh, now immediately there, you've just exposed yourself as not a Star Wars fan by the fact that you weren't able to say. Uh, uh, Princess. Princess <gasps> Leia. Stop it! Stop it! It's too much. Carrie Fisher. Good Carrie grief. Fisher. Yeah, um, I, I have actually read Postcards from the Edge. That was enjoyable. So I mean, she's writing there about, you know kind of autobiographical stuff to do with Hollywood as well but yeah so there are some um, people that transmit not transmit that move across very successfully anyway see this is another one of those digressions so that's what I got lost in this week and I didn't really find any other articles that I was interested in but I did submit a poet a poem actually to um, a poetry magazine which I was very disappointed about it because I had this poem for ages and ages sitting there waiting to be finished for this deadline. And this poetry magazine has themes for each issue. And this poem was perfect fit for that theme, I, I thought. And then just months went by and I didn't work on it. So when the deadline came round the day before, I was like, right, I'm obviously suffering from a little bit of writer's block since I haven't written anything for ages. I'm just going to force myself tonight to sit and work on this poem. And... I worked on it and it just it just didn't come together. I had a poem that I'd finished, but I was not happy with it. And I was sitting there thinking, do I submit or do I not submit? And in the end, I thought, well, you've got to be in it to win it. So I did send it off, but it was rubbish. I think that there is a couple of morals to take from this. I personally think you did the right thing because I think the act of 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 completing a piece of work and submitting it and kind of just putting it out there and I'm going to talk about I think I may talk about this in a second when it comes to my stuff but um, I think the act of actually 
press and send shipping. That's the phrase, isn't it, that people you sometimes use? The act is of, it? I think it is. You know, you ship something. You actually make it and you give it to people or sell it um, as opposed to just sort of sit on it and don't do anything. So the alternative would perhaps have been for you to have just... Um, uh, just done nothing with it come back to it in a month's time and it would have just disappeared into the ether now if it is as bad as you say <laughs> then there's, there's every chance that uh and just because of the nature of submitting things to journals and magazines there's every chance that you won't succeed in getting this published yes but i am resigned to that fact okay but, but the poem still exists on your computer this piece of writing this piece of work still exists you can still pursue it and carry on and uh, make it better and do the things that you wish that you perhaps had had time to do this time round. So that's not such a bad thing. The only problem that I can possibly see with this, and this is where it comes to the second moral, perhaps, um, is what happens if it does get taken on and you have a piece of work that you have just admitted to uh, all of us that, <laughs> that is essentially useless. I can tell you now that it won't be taken on. And the reason I know that is because... As somebody who's been doing this for a while now, I have submitted to this particular journal on more than a few occasions, and I have been unsuccessful on every attempt. The closest I've got is having feedback saying, oh, that they really liked um, certain parts of one poem and particular lines in one poem, which was fantastic, but um, I am under no illusion. This will not be published in that. If it were to be published, then maybe I would look at it again and say, OK, maybe I was just being hard on myself. You never know, Ian. Well, that's an interesting... That's a very interesting conversation. It's the, it's the confirmation from somebody else that actually it's not that bad, you know? But I think... Because I'm, is... I'm lost in my own writer's block at the moment. I'm wallowing in, in self-pity about my writing, perhaps. Well, uh, and this is a problem that I think a lot of writers have, both the new and old writers, and I think that's a really interesting point. I was very lucky. When I was writing my novel, I was very lucky that I had pretty positive feedback throughout. Mm. And um, and it, and as you've just described, it completely spurred me on. I had lots of, lots of self-doubt, lots of, lots of chapters or paragraphs or sections that I would write and I would submit them to my tutor and I would submit them thinking... And I would have done them in a rush. I would have... It would be, you know, because it was... Um, uh, the first the first part of it was written as part of my degree so um it was you know to a deadline you know you need to do this by next week because we're going to be talking about it in class so I, I was done in the rush and i knew i wasn't very happy with it and then i would get a snippet of positive feedback not you know not straight down the line but just even the slightest thing and then that would spur me on and yeah. it's something that i feel that i'm really lacking now because i'm not in that environment and haven't been for a long time um yeah. and i've not got myself together and shared it with anyone else at all while I've been working on and so I'm not I'm not getting that sort of constant positive reinforcement now you're talking about you know the reinforcement of publication which is obviously incredibly um, rewarding and, and satisfying and all those things but it's how to how do you get that constant positive those positive pick-me-ups as as you're writing something longer or, or not in the context of publication it's a fascinating yeah. topic, this confidence business when it comes to writing. It is, it is. And I think, you know, we all need to um, to find ways to share our things with, first of all, with people that we kind of trust. And then after that, once we feel that something's ready, you know, with a wider audience where we can get better feedback, because we're human and we need it. 
we need so every so often we need obviously we need to hear um really you know useful critique but we do every so often need just a massive old slap on the back like a big you know like well done <laughs> yes. I just hit myself on the back there. Very, very, yeah. very specifically, has to be said by a troll or. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, like, I, I don't know who I was imagining. It sounded like one of the, one of the uh, spoiler alerts giants oh. in the latest episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, blimey! Oh, that was a good, good. No, let's not go it down. No, no, let's not start that. Anyway, that was my week in writing, um, and I believe I'm finished, and I can pass over to you now to hear how you've been doing, Ian. Right, okay, I'll take the reins. Um, well, I want to talk about this uh, project for a couple of reasons. But before that, I also want to just mention something that I noticed this week called uh, Paper Later. So this is something that's been made by um, the same people who make, and I'm now going to have to check, they make Newspaper Club, which is um, a service that's just in the UK, actually. But it's interesting, and I'm sure there are other similar things in the US and other places. The Newspaper Club basically allowed you to, uh, I think, uh, upload certain images and articles, and then it would you could kind of create your own newspaper, and they would do all the delivering for you, um, um, so you could make and sell your own sort of print newspaper. I think, that, I think that's relatively accurate. Um, and this week they launched something called Paper Later, paperlater.com, and it is essentially a service that you pay four ninety nine an issue for, and you choose various articles from the internet, so just stuff that you can read online for free, um, and you send it to paper later in some way, and a few days later they will send you an actual, what looks like beautifully designed newspaper, so you can sit and read it in what you might call a traditional format. And um, first of all, it looks amazing. I mean, in terms of actual quality, just looking at the images from the website, it looks, you know, pretty beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful design. It is pretty, yeah. Um, and a lot of people I've seen on Twitter have sort of said, this is fantastic, I'd love this, it seems like a really good idea. But would they... This, yeah, I'm interested to know. They love the idea, but would they do it would they buy it every week it seems to me um a hell of a push to ask people to pay 4.99 for something that they can get for free whenever they want to pay 4.99 for something that they get in a few days time that they can read immediately for free yeah but i mean the whole point is is that we're not reading all these things that we set aside for free are we i mean i've got so many i've got articles coming out my ears that i'm putting aside at work you know oh i'm just have a look at that later and do you do you think that you would be more likely to read it if you had, you had it in paper format? I mean, your copy of Hello Magazine or Vogue that's on your table at home? <gasps> Ian, that is an outrageous comment. I can't believe you just said that to me. Your copy of The New Scientists and the uh, oh, National outraged. Geographic? I don't spend money on anything. I'm so stingy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought you were outraged because it was sort of vaguely... Sexist. It, it, it was vaguely sexist. I mean, then I, the last thing I subscribed to was National Geographic. I have never, ever had any of those ridiculous things around my... I'm just not that kind of person. Hang on. Was, was you saying National Geographic and the New Scientists are ridiculous? In what way? No, I was talking about the other ones that you said. What was it? Vogue and oh, okay. something else. Uh, Vogue and Hello, I think I said. Hello, yeah. I mean, I could have I said mean, nuts or heat. <laughs> but you, exactly, you wouldn't have said that to me, though. 
Well, maybe he. I don't even know if that, if that's for boys or girls. But I was joking. You know that I wasn't. That wasn't actually. Those examples were purposely inflammatory. Yeah, you're saying that now. You're saying that now because I'm inflamed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not really inflamed. Um, I possibly would. I mean, I, like I said, I really like the idea. Maybe if work paid for it. <laughs> I'd do it. But I can tell you now, I wouldn't personally do it. I'd just say, oh, I love that idea and share it on social media and then not buy it. I'm the same, actually. I mean, I I probably wouldn't buy a Ferrari, but if someone else paid for it, <laughs> I might. True. True. Anyway, it's, it's just an interesting concept. I don't want to dwell on it too much and it looks beautiful. And, um, and maybe it's something that you could do every now and again if you... Which, you know, maybe you build up a, a series of... I think, I think the thing I also find difficult to understand is how, if it's... There's so much to read online, you never know what's going to be good and what's going to be bad. And if you spend four ninety nine on a load of articles that are rubbish, why that's would you do true. it? Are we talking, should these articles actually be stuff that you've read once and know that's good in order to kind of save it in some way? I don't know. But I, 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 like, I like the uh, the notion of it and, you know, I wish them well. Yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so before we talk about endings, I'll just talk briefly about this idea of mine that I've had and how I'm how I'm doing it. I called it a screenplay. It's not a screenplay because there is no screen involved whatsoever. It's more of a, a like a podcast play or a or a or I don't know a um, a fictional podcast. I think you would call it. The podcast bit is just the delivery, I suppose. I suppose it could be an audiobook or whatever. Um, but the reason it's the format is best suited to a podcast is because hopefully this will become much like a podcast a um uh, a frequent regular regularly updated thing with new content anyway so it's a fictional podcast so i don't know if you've heard of um and i think I'm, i say this i think we may have mentioned it on the podcast two or three weeks ago um uh welcome to night vale hmm. so i meant yeah you've mentioned it we discussed no. this didn't we yes i, I lose track of what the hell i'm talking about half the time <laughs> um uh, and I know that I've mentioned this before, this project, but I'm going into some, some more detail. Um, and also, Tea and Jeopardy, which is a podcast which is about interviews, but it's it's a, sorry, it's an interview podcast um, which I've talked about before, and but it has a narrative around it. So it's this idea of using the the kind of audio format or the narrative format to do, um, uh, uh, I guess, a sequential um, podcast. So I've had I've had this idea. Um, it's set in a, a, a leisure centre in the in, in in the UK in England, and um, and the idea is that uh, the narrator, which is probably going to end up being me because it's the cheapest way of doing it, um, is uh, is doing a, a weekly centre user update. So it's it's the idea is that this uh, what are this this kind of monologue, uh, this update is what goes out to the customers in the leisure centre over the tannoy and then they can go online to download it. So it's the idea that the leisure centre wants to keep their users, sort of centre users as I'm calling them, uh, informed. So it's about stupid news and other things. And it's quite sinister. So that's the general gist of it. It makes more sense when you listen to it. Um, And so I started sort of just, this came out of uh, sort of discarded passages of the new novel. And... um, and I was doing it in byword on my iPad Mini, which I sometimes use uh, to just uh, do quick bits of note taking and, and writing. Um, and so I wasn't using something big and meaty like Scrivener, which is good for doing 
um, all types of scripts. Um, it was just literally a text file. And then I stumbled across an app called Highland this last couple of weeks. And I've been using that since, and I think I will continue to use that forevermore because it's fantastic, and I wanted to tell you about it. Um, have you ever attempted writing a script, Donna? I have not. Well, they have to be written in a very specific way. Now, this one, obviously, I'm going to be doing... This is this is assuming this all comes to fruition. At the moment, it's just just uh, kind of in draft form. Yeah. Um, but I think I am going to put it out there as a pilot and just to see what people think. I quite like this idea of social accountability, which I've talked about before, which I'm actually terrible at. I, I seem to be quite happy to try something out and then just ditch it, even though I've kind of committed to it. Um, however, I don't intend on doing this here. But the idea of sort of just putting it out there, seeing what people think, and then deciding whether it's worth pursuing or not. Um, I'd also, a bit like what we talked about earlier about the, um, you know, uh, approval. Ab- absolutely. It's, I mean, like I say, I'm, I haven't got a lot of time, and I'm writing a second novel. I like the idea of doing having this sort of thing on the side, and I like the idea of trying to make money from it using Patreon um, so that people can have extras. So, for example, I think I mentioned this before, but if they, if someone... It's a free podcast anyone can listen to, but if you want to get more detail, you can actually download the original scripts, and that will have like little notes in. I'm already write, I've already written some of these, so extra notes to say uh, that adds a bit of extra story and background to it. Um, so that's that's kind of the 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 idea. Scripts need to be written in a certain way. It's not so important with this particular script of mine because it's pretty much a monologue, so it's just one person talking. So there doesn't need to be all the kind of um, uh, changes in um, you know who's talking and who's saying the dialogue that kind of thing but the formatting is really important if you want to actually go on and submit your screenplay or radio play whatever it might be to um, you know whatever an agent or um, uh, I don't know a movie company radio station yes I don't yeah exactly um, so it's important to format them properly now a lot of there are some well established apps that do this Final Draft is probably the most well known um, Scrivener has all these tools built in, but I quite like writing with just plain text. I don't like all the fanciness of uh, of of you know these overblown programs, which are very good at what they do. But I quite like just to be able to type, especially because I like to type because I've not had much time. And this is where it comes back to how I've managed to do this in the last month. Um, if you use a text file and you can sync it using Dropbox or something like that, it means that you can open it anywhere pretty much and type. Um, in in uh, any text editor. So, for example, this is how I'm doing it. I'm using Highland, which is this great um, text editor for scriptwriters, and it allows you to write in a certain kind of almost a bit like code. It's very similar to Markdown. If we have any five by five techno listeners um, who will know what uh, Markdown is, it's very simple, kind of easy to understand kind of uh, system uh, for writing. Uh, well, HTML in, in in terms of Markdown, but in Highland it has its own kind of special characters. So if you want to, for example, um, make sure that the person reading the script knows that this is, for example, a scene heading, so, I don't know, internal ledger centre room, room above the pool, something like that, uh, that needs to be formatted in a certain way. It needs to be in um, capital letters. And you can do all this and just choose a... just write it in a certain way, that is actually in capital letters um, if you want to do parentheses you just put it in brackets if you want to have it 
not speech, like just a, a kind of writer's note, then you can indent it, all these kinds of things. But it's really simple to do. You don't have to worry about a great deal. And once you've picked up these basic rules, you can write it um, quite quickly. And, um, and then you click a button and it says, hey, this is the formatted version, which you can then export as a PDF or um, a, a final draft file, I think, as well. Uh, so it's really good for writing quickly. But like I say, the most useful thing for me is it's meant that I can write it anywhere. So I've written quite a lot of this, not just on my iPad, which I use with a kind of a, one of those slot-in Logitech keyboards, which makes it slightly easier, but also on my iPhone, on my mobile phone, on my smartphone. Um, I've, if I've thought of uh, an idea, most of which are slightly silly, um, I've just quickly jotted it down and on my phone, and then I get back to uh, using ByWord usually, and then I get back to my computer at home and it's already there waiting for me in Highland. And it's been great. I've really enjoyed doing it. And it's this, it's uh, the other thing that I want to say is it's this idea of having a, a secondary writing project, which I've talked about before, but I think it's really useful. So the main thing I'm writing is, of course, my second novel. But when you're writing something sort of big and hopefully significant, certainly to you, then you do get writer's block and you do struggle with it and it's extremely useful to be able to go do you know what i'm going to have some some excuse me some light relief and uh, and work on this other project instead doesn't mean the other project can't be serious and important and and um, and high quality it just means that it's not the thing that you're working on at the same time mm. so um so that's how i'm doing it and i it's still in draft form but i'm hoping to sort of release it as a pilot and just get feedback and listen to what people think a couple of people have got in touch with me and said they quite like the idea especially the idea of using patreon which i which i quite quite uh, i'd quite like to give a go so um awesome so yeah that's it so check out highland it's excellent i recommend it you can get to that i should give a link you know it'll be in the show notes actually i'll put this in the show notes but uh just remind us donna where we would find those show notes oh for five minutes how is it that you always manage to just completely spring this on me and I forget which number we are? Okay, hang on one sec. I'm going to speak really slowly and say, you can find the show notes at 5by5.tv slash WFYL slash 115. Excellent. So you'll be able to find a link to uh, Highland and various other links to the other stuff that we talked about in this episode speaking of which endings can i just say was it really 115 yeah yeah you were right what was i amazing i just guessed completely (laughs) um (laughs) endings yes now you said to me a little while ago that you thought yeah we could talk about endings but that you thought openings were more important and then when i said that to you you said i did i say that do you think that they are more important? This is probably more to do with my state of mind than it is my actual opinion on things. No, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because like we, as writers, we wrestle so much with the openings of, of, of what we're doing, as we talked about last week. Um, maybe it's because the endings, you're already so far through it, if you do the ending chronologically at the end, um, that it's not as, not as challenging. And that's why it doesn't seem as important. But I think, anyway, that it's... Um, it's more important than the opening. Well, I think it's... Uh, I don't know whether important is perhaps the, the right word or the word that I'd use, but in all of this, I think that there is the assumption, and I'm very guilty of this, 
of thinking of the opening, thinking of the ending, and just mentally assuming that they are the first and the last things that you actually write. And um, and they invariably, they may be, but invariably they aren't um, and don't need to be, and some might argue perhaps shouldn't be. Um, but that is the natural way of thinking, that the start, well, you start at the start and you end at the end. Um, um, whether one's more important than the other, I don't really know. I mean, the start is important because people won't get to the end if the start isn't any good. Um, and, of course, there's a whole load of big, fat metal that people need to get through too. So my, I, I think it's all important. That's um, uh, without the hyphen. Yes, <laughs> it is all important Indeed. without the hyphen. Um, yes, the reason I, th- I think that the ending is, is such a fascinating subject is because I realised that um, I don't remember amazing openings. When We talked about amazing openings last week and... The ones, the one that I gave as an example was one of my favourite books, and the first line could have been from anything. I had no idea when I reread it that, that that was the first line. Whereas, the ending of that book is what I remember, and I realised that all of my favourite books, I think they are my favourite books, or I loved them because of the way they ended, because that's what I remembered. And so I suddenly realised, oh my goodness. I think it's 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 more important. That's what that's the conclusion I came to. And um, the quote I, I gave last week was the um, uh, one hundred years of solitude. And I was also thinking of this for the ending as well. Um, so yeah, so I think it's it's very interesting the endings that you remember and why they work. And what type of ending do you like as a reader? Do you like def- definite endings where you know that nothing else could possibly happen everything's tied up nicely mm-hmm. or do you like endings that where you think um not necessarily what happened there but um whether where it's perhaps a little more open-ended i think i've read books where i enjoyed both of them and there is a, a very human need to have everything wrapped up isn't there there must be a terrible pressure on writers actually to 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 feel that they've closed things off and i i I have read books where I felt that you, you could really get a sense that the author was just trying to wrap everything up in a very short space of time. Have you ever done that where you're reading a book that you enjoy and you're about kind of five to ten pages from the end and you think, you imagine how they're going to finish it from there and you suddenly think, wow, there's not a lot of room now until they finish. They're, they're going to get through a lot. Yeah, I have and I think I, I wrote a book like that. That's what A.S. Frangelica was like before I went back and turned it from 26 chapters into i think 42 chapters oh really so it was the end mostly that you worked on it was mostly the well the last third i suppose the end is probably a bit generous to me really um yeah i i um i reworked the novel quite a lot and this was i think i've talked about this before but it was after i got an agent and that was one of the things that we worked on together and um and my problem was a, a structural one so i was i'd I I basically did what you described, but not reading. I was actually writing. So I I. But the reason I did it was because in my head, so the chapters are uh, um, titles A to Z, um, and now there are more than there are sometimes more than one chapter that begin with a, a, a single letter. So there's I don't know two or three Bs. Um, but when I first started out, conceptually, I thought, well, there have to be 26 chapters, A to Z. That's the only way that this can work. That's the whole point. Mm. Um, but I'd got to, I don't know, let's say 
V or something like that, realised I hadn't got long to go and thought, oh, I'd better, <laughs> I'd better start wrapping this up. And so I, um, and so I did, and it was, it, it was rushed, and it wasn't, it wasn't that the writing was bad. It wasn't even that the ending wasn't even really an ending because it was still an ending. There was a conclusion to what happened to you know to the events in the book. Mm. But what was wrong, and I think this is probably the answer, the answer or my answer to the question: um, How do you know when it is the end? Because I think that's the problem for a lot of writers: is how do you know when to stop? Um, the reason I knew, or the reason it was pointed out to me by my agent uh, Sophie was that the story arc was wrong and the character arcs were wrong and you could when you read it which is something that you don't do very that often and you you do as an author you do read a, an entire novel but and several times but it's not like you're doing it every time you want to check something you can't read the entire thing mm. but that is the only way of working out the arc of the story and the characters to see if the their stories make sense and have the right pacing and all that kind of thing. So and you're saying that you reread your novel? Loads of times, yeah. Loads of times, yeah. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? Because it's not something you really think about, but of course, of course you do. I mean, so you don't think about it if you haven't written a novel. I mean... I mean, it's been a while, but uh, <laughs> but while I was writing it, I mean, there was a, towards the end, I was rereading it every other day. Oh, but I'm talking about start to finish. Yeah, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm, me too. Really? You're getting through it that quickly. Well, I have to admit, I was probably scan reading it to, 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 <laughs> towards you know towards the end. But I mean, I knew it so well that yeah. I didn't have a choice. But it was to pick up on things like and, and because I was rewriting the ending, it was to pick up on the pace of yeah. uh, of not just the the story arc, which is quite a common sort of writing phrase. But but for me, the character arcs are just important. So does a can a character start at this point and get to this point in a sensible kind of logical way? Or yeah. as what I what I did in my first attempt, um, did it? They kind of everything go quite smoothly, the pace wise, and then all of a sudden things are happening, things are happening. Oh, it's finished. <laughs> um, and so I rewrote an awful lot. I transferred, like I say, twenty six chapters into forty something, and it was just a case of breaking it up to change the pacing so that the ending was still. Not well. It, ch- it did change. The actual events did change, but it was more about the the, the speed at which things happened and adding chapters in to, um, yeah, make sense of it really. Yeah, very um, interesting and great to have an agent that could take you by the hand and say, um, you know, this entire last third needs to be rewritten. Because would you have done that from your own volition? You probably wouldn't. Of your English. Well, I wouldn't, and again, I must stop saying the sentence, but I think I've talked about... We've done a lot of shows, so I've talked about a lot of this stuff before, but <laughs> um, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have done it of my own volition simply because uh, by the time I was trying to get an agent, I'd completely had enough. I didn't feel like I could get make it any better on my own. Maybe I could have done, I don't know, but there gets a point with your writing, as you described earlier, where you just have to let it go and say and sort of hope that someone helps out, which, yeah. is, which is, you know... That's kind of what happened. Yeah. Um, Well, that's very interesting because I I didn't read that first ending. I wonder if I would have uh, thought, cool, that finished quick. There is an alternative ending to my book. If my book was best-selling, it would probably be interesting to people. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) But it's not, so it won't be. Oh. What are you going to do with that? That was a bit tragic, wasn't it? It was very tragic. Uh, I don't know. It's just... um, 
I don't know what I'm going to do. There were probably more, there's probably more than one ending, actually. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, it's, but the idea of knowing when to end, I think, is really important. But how, how does it work with you and poetry? How do you know when to end a poem? Is it more about gut feeling and instinct? If it's a bit more abstract, for example, I think it's fair to say poetry is, or can be at least more abstract than a longer piece of fiction. Do you just go on your gut or or is there some logic and and rules and structure behind it? I guess there is if it's a sonnet, you know exactly when you've got to finish then. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I found with my poems that I tend to have the ending before I have a lot of the rest of it because it's it's kind of that final thought or the image that you want to leave hanging, you know, and that's that's what I've built the whole poem around in the first place. So I, I tend to have that before I have the rest of it, and sometimes it can take me ages to fill out the rest of it. Um, do you have the words, or do you just have the notion of the end? Um, sometimes it's the notion, and sometimes it's the it's you know a particular phrase. That I think that's that's where it's going to be. But um, the the poems that I really love, written by other people, are the ones where I'm kind of the last line. I read the last line, and I'm left a little bit breathless. Do you know what I mean? Just by the power of it. Yes, and I, 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 I think I mentioned Margaret Atwood last week when we talked about openings. Um, maybe I didn't, actually. But I loved the opening to Cat's Eye. The opening to Cat's Eye is just a very short paragraph, and it's fairly abstract. It's about the passing of time, and there are references to, I think, to clocks and stuff like that. Um, and that was very arresting. But Cat's Eye, and, and something that Margaret Atwood does a lot, is she is amazing at last sentences of chapters. Mm. And we talk about openings and endings of uh, of a novel but actually one thing i always try and do is make have a, a, a kind of a resting first line and hopefully last line of individual chapters as well and treat them yeah, like absolutely. treat them like individual pieces of work yeah um i just came across a, a poet called Cynthia Cruz recently an american poet um via the poetry foundation's podcast which i mentioned a few weeks ago um, and um, I was quite taken with her work. And one of her poems, I remember, ended um, something about, uh, I think it was wolves or something, but they were in a, um, the revolving question of a field. That's how she finished that poem. And I just was like, whoa. The revolving question? Say that yeah, again? I'm going to say a revolving question of a field. Let me just what does that mean? see if I can... <laughs> it was just the kind of last line where you're just thinking about it for ages afterwards like oh. what were you, th- were you thinking about it and thinking what does that mean <laughs> yeah the revolving question of a field i'm gonna find it for you now because it's uh that's not it see now i've said it i have to find it for you don't i you don't have to well, it's not a long poem so it'd be quite nice i think to get it we should. I think we should. I think we should read more poetry on the show. What do you think? One of I the, know, why not? You know, one of the segments in in, in my um, pod, fictional podcast is the, the poem of the week. And so this is. I, I didn't say this earlier, but one of the things I'm going to do is hopefully get people to submit poetry, and they can be characters in the in the uh, in the you know they can be centre users. They can be characters, and people can submit you know real poems. And um, I will choose one for every episode and read it in character. Sounds cool. <laughs> um, I have this short poem now, which I can share with you, just um, as, a, as a quick example. It's called Twelve 
in yellow weed at the edge let me, by Cynthia Cruz. Let me prepare myself like I'm at a proper poetry reading. I'm just going to bow my head slightly, close my eyes, not completely, just enough so I look like I'm concentrating extremely hard. And trying not to pass wind. Don't. Uh, now you can imagine, because you've heard the last line, now you can see the rest of it and see whether it makes any more sense to you. I'm going to be upset if there isn't a scarecrow. Thought there might be. No, there's not. No. Okay, so 12 in Yellow Weed at the Edge by Cynthia Cruz. Then the police arrive. They don't find me. I'm disguised as a boy in a champagne wig and hid inside the gold rattle of a warm Appalachia wind. Beneath the trash of willow, I am the sorrow of trailer parks and carny uncles, the poor girl's underworld, a weedy thing. The night, with its kingdom of lanterns and awful blue lark. How we waited, how we hid, like wolves in the revolving question of a field. I've opened opened my eyes again. It's nice, lovely, good rhythm. What do you think of the end now? Does it matter that you don't know what she's talking about with the revolving question of the field? Well, this is, I think this is one of the problems that people have with poetry. I mean, it's, it's got beautiful rhythm, but I still don't really fully understand the metaphor, if it is a metaphor. I don't, know if it's a me- I don't even know if it's a metaphor. But that sometimes, that, sometimes you don't necessarily need that, especially with poetry, I think. The, sometimes just the, the impact of the, the, um, the, I don't know, the rhythm and the way that it's, you know, the, the flow and the context and all that kind of thing can be enough. Absolutely. I just interpreted it as, you know, a place of so many different possible ins and outs. Yeah. That's how, for the future, that's kind of how I saw it. An empty field is an empty canvas. <laughs> but anyway, that was just an example of how, like, I wouldn't be able to tell you the rest of that poem, but I was able to tell you the last line. Um, and how, I guess, that's in poetry, you know. That's, uh, I mean, think about If by Rudyard Kipling, for goodness sakes. Could you recite that poem? Um, if you were a horse, <laughs> I'd clean the crap out of your stable. Well, I'm sure you can recite the last line, though. I can't, but that's, that is a sentence from a Divine Comedy song. A sentence, <laughs> that's a line from a good... I, for, some reason it's, um, for some reason I said it. Well, I, I, I mean, Rudyard Kipling's If constantly comes up as, you know, everybody's favourite poem ever written and all that stuff. So I won't spoil it by reading you the last line or saying it because it's important if you don't know it. But you should go and look it up. If you, we can put it in the show notes, can't we? Yeah, I know bits of it, but not enough to feel confident enough to try and say it right now. <laughs> <laughs> OK, good cover up. Anyway, so, so yeah, it's, it's different with different poems, but, um, but yeah, vitally important. The other interesting thing about endings, perhaps just to finish off, because time's getting on, is the, the question I get asked the most is, when people have read my book, is, will there be a sequel? Now, do you think people are just a bit obsessed with sequels these days? Is it the fault of Harry Potter, Twilight, uh, The Hunger Games, and DVD box sets? Do people constantly want a story that goes on and on and on? Is the is, is is the need for an ending perhaps not as strong as it once was? Do people prefer cliffhangers to endings these days? Yeah. I mean, just before I, I talk seriously about this, I would like to tell you how they say Harry Potter in Denmark because it always I always think it's very funny. They say, Herr Potter. <laughs> <laughs> 
and now a serious response to your question. Um, you said <laughs> you, you sounded a lot like um, um, Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. Oh, good. Could you say it again? Hair Potter. Could you say Rocky? I'm going to hit you in the face. Rocky, I'm going to hit you in the face. That's going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I always end up going a little bit Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I think that people, it's, it's, it is a, you know, Hollywood's fault, isn't it? That obviously they just want to make money, but I think people are a little bit scared to finish things indefinitely like that, that ultimate finish where, you know, there's no coming back. I don't think people were afraid of that in the past, but I think we, we need everything to be cushioned. You know, I don't think we can take it anymore, Ian. Maybe not. And the other, I mean, sorry that I'm using mine, mine as an example every time, but the other thing that people always ask me, or always seem, they always seem slightly, they ask me what happens at the ending because it is slightly open-ended. And then usually I will just be honest and say, well, this is what I think happened. And I think that, you know, it's a fairly definite ending. And um, and then there are, there's always not a sense of disappointment, but always kind of like, oh, well, yeah, I thought that, but but I wondered if, I can't. I can't give things away. But I thought. But I wondered if uh, you know there might be more to it, and there might be a second book. And 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 there always seems does seem to be this either surprise that there is a, some sense of finality. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean it's okay, isn't it? Sometimes to say no. That that. I mean that's. I think impossible always to say is that enough is this finished is that the end of this poem or is there more to this I mean you think about a a painting you could paint things and you know so many different ways and just once it's on canvas that's it you know sometimes we just have to say that with writing that is it I agree completely I think that's a good way to finish this discussion sometimes as the writer you're the one that has the uh the choice to make and and be bold and make it you know if this is the end this is the end stop where you want to stop that's it and um with that i'm going to play you a little song because you know what it's time for <laughs> hang on a minute you st- <laughs> the listener, this listener's question jingle has evolved to the point where you're now introducing it <laughs> as a song i'm just going to play a Everybody, little song for you guess what time it is <laughs> no i was just um i was just trying to finish this off there I liked That's it. Good. Well, I carry on then. Listeners, <laughs> question. <laughs> so um, we've had um, uh, a relatively new listener, Joe Darnell. Hi, Joe. Who, who may prefer to pronounce his name Joe Darnell. Um, he'll have to let us know. Or Darnell. Yeah, possibly. Um, who on Twitter is underscore Joe Darnell. So maybe he likes that as his full title. I don't know. I'm being rude now. I apologise. Um, he says, start to listen to the podcast a few weeks ago. Good stuff. Keep it up. Well, we will. Thank you, Joe. Um, his question is, how much writing to how much reading do you attempt to balance a lot of time out for both of them? So that's an interesting. I hadn't, I've read this question before, but I hadn't really thought about the use of the word allotted. Do you balance a lot of time out for both of them? So do you do that? Do you allot time for write, well, writing and reading? I'm, I'm going to... Um answer this in kind of like a wider context of my life um i did happen this morning to listen to a podcast about the very classic very well-known story tristram shandy do you know that one by Lawrence stern written in like the 1700s yep no yep um and in that they were talking about the fact that a lot of um novelists 
throughout history have come to it very, very late. Whereas now, you know, I mean, people are writing books from all ages. But this idea that, like, the time of our life we're in right now, in our 30s, we're both in our 30s, aren't we? Yes. I think that, you know, we, we're absolutely screwed as footballers. We could never, you know, <laughs> we're past it. We're for the scrappers, footballers. But, you know, I mean, we are, we've got so much reading to do, so much understanding of the world, so much need to, you know, collect ideas and inspiration. And we've got to be reading so much at the moment, I think. So I'm reading more than I'm writing. And I probably will continue to do that for many a decade. Yes, I think there's probably, my answer is probably that there is a should and then there is what I actually do. Um, I, uh, I, don't, I don't allot time as much as I should do, but I do think that is a really good way of organising your writing. Um, especially if, like me and like most people, it's not the thing that you do for a living. So if you work, let's say, nine to five in a non-writing related job or certainly a non-fiction writing related job, um, then time management is very difficult. If you throw in children and various other responsibilities, it's really tr- it's really tricky. Mm. Um, but, and we, we sort of talked about this last week, actually, when we talked about... Um, there's another listener talked about uh, Rob Boone, is that his name, I think, uh, about how he'd allotted 9 to 10. That was when he was going to write. Yeah. Um, so I do think that's a really great way of doing it. If you can come home from work and know that between the hours of this and that that you're going to sit down and write, that's a really good habit to get into. In terms of reading, I tend to... I don't allot time. I don't like put it in my calendar or anything like that. I don't say, right, I'm going to read at this time. I always assume that I'm going to try and read before I go to sleep, more or less, Mm. Um, uh, because I do. And I always, because I'm so busy at the moment with one thing and another, reading has become something that I really look forward to, but it's something that I hope I can do during the day. I think I hope I can get half an hour to sit and read um, uh, a a book, any kind of book. However, it is always the first thing that I don't do. So when I get to the evening and it's like half eight and I'm just finished washing up or whatever it might be, and I think, right, what have I got to do? What's important? Well, I've got some freelance work that needs finishing. I need to do my invoices, and I'd really quite like to spend another 20 minutes writing fiction or something like that, working on my fictional podcast. Uh, What's going to go is almost always the reading. And... I wonder if I, I wonder if I allotted time to it in a more structured way, and I actually said on my calendar, said, "Okay, at half seven, everything stops, and I'm going to read fifty pages." Um, so instead of another interesting way of doing this, perhaps is to give yourself pages to read instead of uh, like a time limit. But it's another thing, those like as we were talking about with you know, seeing writing as a job even if it's un- and making it more unpleasant and less enjoyable and forcing yourself to do it. Reading is such a pleasure. I know. I, and I know. And such a spontaneous pleasure sometimes. And I need it to, 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 to zone out of the world, you know? I do know. I just find that it, I, I, this is very much um, me talking from the position I'm in at the moment. So it's just very difficult to... I know. ...to, to switch off and, um, and, and read. And I don't just mean, like, in the last month or two... I mean, basically, since having had children. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's it goes, 
is the thing that gets shoved to the side that's for sure but it's a but it's an essential part of being a writer as we all know it's very important yeah. to to read and so i'm not in any way advocating the fact that i am not reading as much as i would like the opposite i would like to read more and i should read more and um, and i intend to read more but it's the idea of allotting time. It's not something I do to answer the question, but something that I think might be a good idea. Um, and and in terms of balance, I think it depends at what stage you're at with your writing. To be honest, if you're at a really key point in your writing, then do more writing than reading. If for some reason you're in the middle of research, then you're probably going to do more reading. So I don't think there is a specific balance to yeah. stick to, but, um, but do mm. both. Yeah. And also, I guess you could consider, instead of listening to podcasts, although you should definitely listen to ours, um, listening to audiobooks if you haven't got time, like on the go. I haven't really done that, actually, if I'm honest. Well, yeah, it is a, yeah, yeah, it is a good idea. If, if you're driving and things like that, then listening to an audiobook is a good way of, um, it's a good way of getting some reading in. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big audiobook listener myself, but I would love... I don't think I've ever listened to one. I've listened to a couple. I listened to Alan Partridge's um, I Partridge um, audiobook because it was read by Steve Coogan in character. <laughs> and to me, that's the... It's the epitome. Yeah, it was just the only way to do it. Totally. Well, we've run out of time, haven't we? We've gone over time, some might say. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure as always, Ian. Thank you. No problem. Um, you can find me at The Flying Poet on Twitter if you have any questions or comments about the podcast or anything else. And you can find me at Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, or uh, go to the website, ianbroom.com. And we accept all feedback, criticism, and uh, questions, listeners' questions. We want more questions. Send them in, and um, we'll try and An imaginary them. slaps on the back of... Um, yes. Well done, of course. And if anyone has any thoughts on my uh, fictional podcast idea, let me know. If you think it's the worst <laughs> idea anyone's ever had... <laughs> Then uh, no, tell me. You don't need to hear that now. I do, but no, this is the point because this is without wanting to start a whole new topic. It is the point. I, I my novel, I'm going to write because I feel like I feel like I'm, I'm. It's what I do. I feel compelled to keep writing novels. I'm going to do that. This is more something that I I want to do. Exactly. But, but I don't want no. But I don't want to do it on my own with no one reading it. I want people. I want it to be read because otherwise Fair I might enough. as well just spend all that time doing something better. Yes. And so, if so, it's a genuine, it's a genuine call for feedback, and it's not like it's difficult. Obviously, it's difficult to give feedback on something that doesn't yet exist. But in general, that's the way I'm going to do this, and I think it's a a good way of testing the water. I think rather than just write, for example, an ebook and put it out there, just maybe ask if people want it, and if they don't, then don't waste your time. Totes. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, look, we've gone we got right back into it again. But anyway, we really are saying goodbye now, aren't we? We and are. And see you next week to everybody, yes. Indeed. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>